Please turn your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We were in this book last week for communion, and we are in it again this week. Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to be at the end, verse 29, and then we're going to go through 12.2, and we will look at that in just a minute. A fun part of our week, and maybe yours too, has been watching the Olympics. What a wonderful thing that we have time set aside every two years for the world to cheer on gifted athletes from their home countries in various sports. It's about competition, but also, don't you think that it's the chance to celebrate the natural talents that God has given us as humans, as well as to celebrate the hard work it takes to be a top athlete? One of the unique aspects of the games this year has been the inclusion of the refugee Olympic team. Isn't that amazing? Over, 22, over 200 countries take part in the games, and the IOC decided, in a bold and compassionate move, I think, for the first time to invite athletes who don't currently have a home. In an effort to highlight the recent crisis that we are experiencing worldwide of refugees, the International Committee created a means by which 10 athletes who qualified in their events at an Olympic level could come and still participate. When you read their stories, and I hope you will, you'll see what they had to overcome, not just to be at the games, but really to survive. Most of them don't have family left. Most of them fell far short of their competitors in funding, coaching, and equipment. One man trained for years in the 800 meters with no shoes. They come from South Sudan, Ethiopia, Syria, and the Democratic Republic of Congo, and have escaped civil war and political persecution. With this chance, they can compete in their sport and receive the dignity and respect of being a world-class athlete. Every competitor at the Olympics has a story, but these 10 are compelling to me because something kept them ready at the top of their game. When the call came for them, whether they were in a resettlement camp or wherever they were, who would have believed it possible? They were ready. The IOC provided a ticket to Rio and a room in the Olympic Village, but they were poised to join their fellow athletes. Somehow, they didn't lose hope. Today, we continue the conversation about faith that we began last week. As we read the portion today, we may wonder... What is it that causes some people to keep going, even when they have nothing left? What propels some of us forward to keep training while others in the same predicament lose faith in everything? The author of Hebrews is talking to people who are on the verge of casting aside their faith in Jesus because they've lost so much because of Jesus, and it isn't seeming worth it. This passage makes the case that no matter how difficult things get, we should keep faith in Christ. And these words tell us how. So let us read together Hebrews 11, starting at verse 29. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as if they were on dry land, but when the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. 
By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had received the spies in peace. And what more should I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, Jephthah, I cannot say that, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign enemies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, refusing to accept release. In order to obtain a better resurrection, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Yet all of these... Though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better, so that they would not, apart from us, be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, please inspire us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. We are vulnerable, God, to you. Amen. So the book of Hebrews as I said, is written to Jewish Christians who were discouraged in their faith. And whatever persecution or hard circumstances they were facing, it was severely trying their souls, and they were considering not being part of Christianity any longer and going back to Judaism. Scholars do not know with certainty who wrote the book, but it is a polished piece of writing with deep roots in Hebraic thought and life. Since there are no formal addresses, as in a letter, it may have been a sermon or a piece of writing sent out in general to encourage the believers, to offer real reasons why the recipient should not give up. In this section of Hebrews, the writer is exhorting the Jewish Christian believers to persevere in the faith. This morning, we're going to be using 12.1 as our base, where the author encourages their audience, including us today, to keep running the race that God has marked out for each of us. There are four encouragements given as an impetus to keep on running, four reasons why we should stay the course. And since we are knee-deep in the Olympics, we're going to be referring back to the games because there's athletic language here. And because all of us understand, even if it is from the comfort of our couch, the dedication that it takes to live out a commitment which brings someone to this stage. So, the first impetus that gives, that comes from the portrait of inspirational stories from those who've come before. Beginning in chapter 11, we talked a little bit about this last week, the writer lists the Hall of Fame of people who trusted God, and highlighting some as a reminder of what they endured, 
or what God accomplished through them because of their faith. This is an effective way to inspire listeners, as we know. The athletes that we watch today at the Olympics surely were driven partly by seeing those who came before them, who showed them that it's possible to have a dream and to push yourself and to go for it with all that you are. In turn, we know that there is a generation of little people that are coming up who are watching television, maybe even at Rio right now, who are being inspired by the Michael Phelps of today, by the gymnasts, the siege which will blossom in the future of Olympic teams. The writer of Hebrews is listing well-known stories of people who faced huge obstacles, but continue to have faith in God to overcome. In verses 29 through 35, there are key examples of those who believed before they had proof of God acting on their behalf. The Israelites faced the Red Sea in front of them and the encroaching Egyptian chariots behind them. Somehow they had to take the first step in the water to get to the other side. And God's mighty hand gave miraculous passage. Rahab trusted God when no one else even considered that Israel could beat her people. She was a foreigner and she was not living a holy life, which the writer takes pains to make sure that we understand. But she acted in faith to protect God's people and help them to achieve his purposes. She welcomed them in peace and offered true hospitality. The people marched around Jericho for seven days when the walls were good and strong because that's what God asked them to do. They believed they had the victory, but they didn't see how it would happen. Last week, we talked about how the definition of faith is something we have to keep in mind. The assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Each of the examples that the writer gives us shows how groups and individuals didn't know the outcome at all, but moved forward because they knew the God who did. When things looked hopeless because of a bigger army or a huge obstacle, lions and fires and stronger kings or weapons of any kind, they endured. When you read their stories in the Old Testament, you know these are not perfect people. Often they're weak in character or spirit or actions, but their faith in the Lord helped them to overcome. We see in verse 35 that the narrative changes. Now it isn't so much a litany of what God's people could achieve with his miraculous power. Instead, it's a reminder that sometimes the Lord sustains those who suffer all kinds of terrible things for his name and doesn't provide a way out. Jeers and flogging, it says, chains and imprisonment, being put to death, living destitute, having nothing to wear but animal skins, living in caves and deserts and mountains and even holes in the ground. God does not always utilize the miraculous as we know. But even when circumstances don't change and it looks like defeat, God's people here are commended for their abiding faith. Verse 38 tells us what we know to be true. The world was not worthy of them. The same is true today with our brothers and sisters who are persecuted for their faith. In this instance, these examples serve to remind the listeners that they are not the only ones who have struggled in their faith. 
every generation is overwhelmed by life in a way that challenges their trust in God. But sometimes we can forget that. We can forget about the generations that came before us when we're overwhelmed by what is in front of us. The writer here reminds their audience that the stories they know from the Hebrew scriptures are about real people who faced real things. And those who stayed in the race are the ones that God helped to save. Remembering those who have gone before us gives us courage and strength to keep going because we know God will come alongside each generation with strength and courage for everything that we encounter. The second impetus the writer of Hebrew gives us is helpful advice. They say, throw off everything that hinders you. In an Olympic context, athletes are always doing things to rid themselves of anything that would slow them down. They do this because in a race, every second or hundredth of a second counts. In Greco-Roman times, the runners ran without clothes and were barefoot. Even now, we know runners will wear the lightest material and shoes possible. We know that some swimmers shave every part of their body and wear the tightest cap they can. Cyclists like this one are given an aerodynamic helmet, wheel covers, and the lightest bike they can ride because they want to reduce the drag that can easily make the difference between a good performance and one that wins a medal. The point is choosing not to keep something on that would slow you down or impede your progress. Get rid of what produces drag in your life, both the benign and the sinful. Throw off negative opinions, shave off people pleasing, unshackle yourself from cultural assumptions and harmful biases about Christianity. Shake off how the world sees things. Get rid of guilt and hatred and bitterness. Let go of pride and arrogance and judgment. These things make it harder to run at all. Then we have to look at our lives and consider whether our possessions or our hobbies or our habits are slowing us down. Because sometimes these things, when they're added up, can cause us to leave the race. Can cause us to choose a different life when they get out of hand. Whatever they do, the writer is saying, don't cast off Jesus. Don't throw him away. Because life with him is meant to be that he carries our burdens. That he gives us rest all while we're running the race and while we're on the path. We always have to evaluate what in life is making us tired. What is dragging you down? What is wearing on your soul that God wants you to get rid of? What are you constantly trying to manage as you go that isn't necessary, that's weighing you down? If the point of our race in life is God then that means that sometimes we have to reject some things because it's going to make it easier for us to run and give us more freedom of movement. The writer Frederick Buechner reminds us of something good for us to consider with the metaphor that we're working with here. In the Christian life, he says, we're not competing against one another because that can become a main hindrance to us. 
We don't strive against each other. Really, we live hoping to overcome the worst in ourselves. When we're aware of what our struggles are, when we know what we hold on to in this life that slows us down, we're in a good position then to let those things go. The third impetus the writer gives is to remind the the hearers to fix their eyes on Jesus. Every athlete who trains has a different technique of keeping their focus. Rifle shooters will wear blinders so that what is in their peripheral vision won't distract them. Many athletes have practices they consistently do to stay in the zone. Most coaches give daily goals for their athletes to meet so that larger goals can be met down the road. Because so much of playing involves mental concentration, sports psychology is now huge for every type of athlete. Keeping centered is what the objective is in sports, and the key to life is getting there. In the Christian life, Jesus is the point of our faith, says the author. The writer has listed faithful saints from Abel to Christ and has now lifted Jesus up as the best example of one who has successfully run the race of life. And he says that the goal for Jesus was joy. Jesus endured the cross, scorning the shame he experienced so that we might know him. What joy there must be for him, the Bible says, when those who didn't know him turned to him. There is joy for him when we find reconciliation in our relationships and choose to be obedient to him. When we're good stewards of the things that he has given us. Jesus' goal was for us to live lives under grace. Jesus' goal was for us to know his love and to love others around us. And he accomplished those things with his death and resurrection. We keep our eyes on Jesus because he is the goal of all we do. Our goal isn't heaven. Our goal isn't faith for the sake of faith. Our goal isn't having a great life. Our goal is the living one who now sits at the right hand of God. He is the point of why we run the race to the finish. He is the one who makes it all worthwhile. Jesus didn't let the physical pain or the degradation of the stigma of the cross dissuade him on his journey that God marked out for him. He is the pioneer and perfecter because he accomplished what it takes for us to have hope in him. And going before us, he clears the track so that we might have an easier way. There are still hurdles, but we have the one who's gone before us and tells us how to get over them. Sometimes I think it's easy for us to look at the difficult aspects of the race that the Lord has marked out for us. It can be discouraging and lead to be overwhelming, and sometimes we want to quit. Jesus himself understands wanting to quit. When we read about him in the Gospels, we see he had great discouragement at the faith he saw. He had great anger for some, how some of the ways people were interpreting God's plan. We know he had great pain and agony. But that's why he's the best goal for us. Because he understands. Because he made it. Because he ensures that we can too. Because we don't know how long or short our course is. We need to stay focused on him. Jesus is the goal of our faith. The last impetus we want to talk about today is the reminder that we're not alone. 
The people of faith that the writer has listed are a huge cloud of witnesses around us. I was thinking about this when I saw Boris Becker in the stands the other day watching a tennis match between Serbia and Argentina. It was interesting to watch that tennis great. He didn't really give very much emotion. But oftentimes when we watch the Olympics, there are people in the stands who have competed before cheering on their country or just checking out and seeing what's going on, cheering and watching, especially when it's their sport being played. In the heavenly realm, the cloud of witnesses are still alive. They've gone before us and they serve as an inspiration for us to finish well. They have received the reward for their faith while we still toil along the way. And we're reminded of their struggle and we carry on the work that they did. Each generation picks up where the last one left off, trying to take the baton of faith to different places. We are recipients of those who have gone before us and we have a responsibility to those who come after us to keep the faith in Jesus alive and healthy so that they too may run the race. A classic commentator of the Bible, William Barclay, wrote something that caught my eye this week. He said, in the Christian life, all of us have a God-given purpose. We're not merely strolling through our existence here as if we have no place to go. And because of that, he says, we should be asking ourselves regularly, am I any further along? Am I closer to Christ in this time of my life? than I was yesterday or in the last season. In a race, the point is to move forward, not with a passive mindset, but with great perseverance, the writer says here, with a determination that is steady and focused. The writer here has emphasized that we run with diligence. I think sometimes we run and sometimes we crawl. And there are seasons in our life where we are barely carried by those around us and by the Lord himself. But moving forward is a choice that we each make. Each of us have a path that has been marked out for us by the Lord himself. But this is not a sprint. This is a long distance kind of run. We have to pace ourselves because it takes great effort to make the distance. So this morning, I encourage you to think about your life and how you're running in the race marked out for you. All of us have circumstances that we need to overcome. Some are painful and more heartbreaking than others. But if we don't lose hope and we keep the faith, we may be able to see things that we never thought possible. Let's pray.